Yesterday's uh, Dhamma talk was on Gayanupasana Satipatthana, namely the mindful contemplation of uh, you know, the body, and um, today we shall go on you know, exploring you know, what is meant by Vedanupasana Satipatthana, namely mindful contemplation of uh, feelings. And uh, those you know, feelings are, you know, contemplation of the feelings you know, is an, an uh, integral part of uh, you know, the instructions on you know, Satipatthana in general. Now, in the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, you know, volume 159, we find you know, the following instructions regarding you know, feelings. You know, first as you know, three kinds of feelings and then as you know, six kinds of you know, feelings. And uh, the translation is uh, by Venerable Analayo, and his translation is based on uh, Venerable Jnana Moli's uh, translation of the relevant passage. And I'm quoting, When feeling a pleasant feeling, a meditator knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, a meditator knows I feel an unpleasant feeling. And when feeling a neutral feeling, a meditator knows I feel a neutral feeling. This is one part. Now, the next part uh, is as follows, namely, when feeling a worldly pleasant sort of feeling, one knows I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly unpleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly unpleasant feeling. And when feeling a worldly neutral feeling, one knows I know a worldly neutral feeling. And the last one is when feeling Feeling an unworldly neutral feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly neutral feeling. Now, what we have here is a division into uh, two or, or you know, two different arrangements regarding feelings. Feelings arranged as three, namely as pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and then um, you know, those same three you know, feelings are further be, you know, being distinguished between uh, worldly and unworldly you know, feelings. So worldly, unworldly, pleasant, and then worldly, unworldly, unpleasant, and then worldly and unworldly, un- neutral. Now, the difference between the two is that the Buddha, upon gaining enlightenment, uh, 
uh, noticed for himself that, well, obviously, disregarding feelings, in particular pleasant feelings, did not work, like many ascetics at his time used to do. And based on the belief that they needed to work off all their bad karmic deeds from the past, and this was best done by subjugating this body to all sorts of penances or austere practices. And thus, the arising of an unpleasant feeling was considered as not well opportune or as not desired. And so. The Buddha then reflected and realized that when he was younger, he had practiced the jhanas, and indeed some pleasant feeling arose, but that pleasant feeling was in connection with the jhana practice. And it was not a pleasant feeling in connection with indulging in some sense pleasure. And he realized that that unpleasant, unworldly feeling connected with the jhana practice was wholesome, had a positive ethical quality to it. And hence, he made this further distinction between worldly pleasant and unworldly pleasant. Instead of unworldly, we can also say spiritually pleasant. Now, the Pali term for worldly is samisa, and the Pali term for unworldly is niramisa. Now, um, the first term, samisa, is actually a compound of two, namely sa and amisa. Amisa is connected with the flesh, and sa means with, so connected with the flesh. Any kind of feeling that is connected with the flesh. So this then has led some translators to translate this term as carnal feeling. So carnal, pleasant feeling, and carnal unpleasant feeling. But this is maybe a little bit too much. And so worldly pleasant and unpleasant is quite, quite enough. And what is meant here by this worldly feeling is a feeling that is connected with the five sense pleasures and indulging in them. Whereas in the case, in the second case of the unworldly or spiritual, pleasant, unpleasant or neutral feeling, this is uh, um, rather related to renunciation. So you know, spiritual practice, renouncing you know, temporarily or on a permanent basis, you know, renouncing you know, one's you know, usual pleasures and you know, then undertaking maybe some meditation practice. Now, I'm sorry, I'm missing, is the word worthy or the word worldly? Worldly. 
worldly and unworldly. So, with this, we have uh, then you know, to, to say it again, uh, first the division into three kinds of feelings as pleasant feeling, which uh, in the Pali language is known as sukha, vedana. Vedana stands for feeling, and sukha for pleasant. Then the unpleasant feeling, which uh, in the Pali scriptural language is known as uh, uh, dukkha, vedana. And then uh, we have uh, the neutral feeling, which in the Pali language is known as uh, adukha, masukha. And then each one of those three can be further subdivided, as we've seen, into worldly and unworldly. And hence we then end up with six kinds of feelings. Now, those unworldly feelings have to do with uh, or feelings that uh, arise in connection with the spiritual uh, practice so meditation practice and there are as we shall see later on certain points in one's meditation practice when irrespective of uh, sense external worldly sense pleasures some joy or happiness arises in the stream of consciousness. And so this then is accompanied by an unworldly feeling. And so unworldly, pleasant feeling, sorry. And when a meditator is undertaking his or her meditation and certainly is striving very hard, however, things that he or she is not making enough headway as expected or desired, um, then this may lead to, to an unworldly, unpleasant uh, feeling. So a certain um, well, unpleasant quality is to uh, this experience, but it has nothing to do uh, with uh, the, uh, the indulgence in the sense uh, in the five sense pleasures, and. And then an unworldly neutral feeling may arise at, well, again, a certain point in the meditation practice that is accompanied by wisdom and also equanimity. And this, too, is independent of the one's indulgence in the five sense pleasures. Now, maybe to explain the term five sense pleasures, since this hasn't been explained yet. Um, the five senses you know, namely you know, the seeing process, hearing, smelling, tasting, and, uh, and touching. Now, 
when we see some you know, pleasant certain you know, sight like uh, you know the beautiful scenery around here you know maybe especially it's uh, you know, in the morning at sunrise and then we might indulge in this certain you know, visual feast natural visual you know, feast and we want to you know, see more and more of it we want to experience more and more of it this would qualify under or as uh, well a sense pleasure related to the eye door then it may happen uh, that uh, we hear the well the breeze the wind and there's rather or maybe even better we hear the sound of the water and the creek going by flowing by and this has a rather calming effect on the night so there's a pleasant feeling that goes along with this now since this is a pleasant certain experience a meditator may want to hear more and more of it and this too then qualifies as well a sense pleasure with regard or indulging in a sense pleasure with regard to the ear door and then after last night's uh, no, rain, and in particular this morning, no, there's a very particular you know, odor or scent certain around certain here, and, which has to do with the nature and the rain. And certain, so you know, this one might consider as rather, you know, as rather fascinating, as pleasant, and one then indulges in it. And one can get enough smelling, uh, smelling it over and over again. And so, so this then would qualify as indulging in the sense pleasure you know, related to the... Well, uh, the nose, the nose door, and so, uh, then you know, the obvious example you know, regarding indulgence to the uh, you know, tongue door is what? <laughs> yes, please. Eating. Eating what? <laughs> oh, delicious food. Best food. Best food. But uh, starting you know, tomorrow, John's food. <laughs> and John's food. <laughs> and John's food will also be pretty good. You will see. <laughs> And so, then, this may lead a meditator to, well, enjoy the food, and then, since it's so good, wanting to have more and more of it. And so, this then would qualify as indulgence in a sense pleasure related to the tongue door. And so, then, regarding the fifth sense, namely the body door, well, you sit in meditation, and so, then, um, 
And then you come across certain some really soothing you know, chills and thrills going through the body. And you've never experienced anything like this, and so you like it very much, and so you indulge in it. And you want you know, the experience to go on and on and on. So this then you know, would be indulgence in sense pleasure you know, regarding you know, the body door. But maybe a more worldly example would be, well, it's, let's say it's been cold all day long, and then finally you decide to take a shower with hot water. And so the hot water then does the trick and leads to a rather pleasant feeling, and you indulge in it, and you can't then get enough showering. Now, the definition of uh, the classical fourfold definition of Vedana, of a feeling, the mental state of feeling, is as follows. Namely, it has the characteristic of being felt. And what this points to is that it covers the affective quality of an experience. So, um, we have uh, we experience some uh, some hard, let's say some um, let's say some smoothness, and in the body, and then. Um, the effective quality to that smoothness uh, would be pleasant, the pleasant uh, feeling. So please notice that that pleasant feeling and the smoothness itself are two different things. The smoothness is a physical object, a bodily object, uh, which has by itself no effective quality to it, However, which, is, uh, sorry, which is not the same as certainly the feeling, namely the, in this case, the pleasant feeling, and sometimes, and the affective quality of an of an experience is also being referred to lately as as what? Who knows, Nicola? Oh, another word for you know, the effective quality of an experience. Another you know, expression for you know, the effective quality of an of an experience. Well, the feeling tone. So the feeling tone of an you know, experience, and so the function of. Uh, feeling is as experiencing or as enjoying the desirable aspect of uh, the object. And the manifestation is given as uh, relishing the relishing of uh, the associated mental factors. So relishing of the experience, relishing the experience uh, through or done by the associated mental factors. And uh, and then the proximate cause is given as certain tranquility. 
And the illustration that we find in the Abhidhamma for this Vedana is that of a cook and a king. A cook prepares a meal and only has the chance to sample a little bit of this dish, a little bit of that dish and so on. Whereas it is the king or the queen who will have the opportunity to fully relish the entire meal in all of its uh, aspects. Now, when it comes to the contemplation of feelings, uh, then it's important uh, to remember uh, that uh, they keep changing. Just like uh, with the weather uh, these days. A few minutes ago it was still somewhat dry, a little bit overcast though, now it's raining. And maybe one or two hours later it will be over. And tomorrow morning it will be cold. And and then around lunchtime maybe it will be again a little bit warmer. So, as the weather keeps changing all the time, um, we just have to put up with it and just accept it the way it is and make the necessary adjustments in terms of using an umbrella or maybe when it's warm taking some clothes off and when it gets cold or when it's cold then to put some extra clothes on. So, when it comes to these feelings, we just have to accept whatever comes along. Be it a pleasant feeling associated to a certain experience, be it an unpleasant experience, an unpleasant feeling associated with some different experience, or a neutral feeling associated again with some other experience. So we can't choose. And so the best attitude with regard to feelings is simply just to accept, uh, patiently accept whatever feeling comes up and then to be mindful of it. Now, from an Abhidhamma point of view, feeling is a fundamental uh, mental state. And this is sort of reflected by the fact that it is included among one of the seven universals, seven, seven universal mental factors, and those are number one, contact, fossa, then number two, feeling, then number two, number three, perception, number four, Four is then volition. Number five is one-pointedness of the mind, um, ikagata. And then number six is the life faculty. And number seven is uh, wise attention, manasikara. Now, 
these seven mental factors are known as universals Sabasadarana Chaita in the or Chitasika in the Pani scripture language because they arise in in any kind of consciousness and so with regard in conjunction with any kind of mental factor B those accompanying mental factors wholesome or unwholesome or neutral it doesn't matter feeling will be there so this then means there will be no moment of consciousness and which is then accompanied by a number of different mental factors which does not contain uh, some form of a feeling either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral and the Diganikaya in volume 2 section 68 points out when a pleasant feeling is felt no painful or neutral feeling is felt but only the pleasant feeling when a painful feeling is felt no pleasant or neutral feeling is felt but only painful feeling and when a neutral feeling is felt no pleasant or painful feeling is felt but only neutral feeling which means only one feeling at a time and not certainly a mixture of those now when we take certain feelings and we kind of focus on them in our contemplation and we do this for a longer period of time or at least once in a while then sooner or later we will come to which intuitive understanding Ah, indeed. That a feeling uh, is rather impermanent, uh, rather transitory in nature. So, just like uh, uh, the weather conditions. And so, a feeling will not last forever. And since a feeling is so impermanent in nature now is it really worthwhile getting attached to it so now when a pleasant feeling has arisen in you know, the stream of consciousness based on some object then uh, should we you know, get fully attached to it and grasp it and not let go of it obviously not and so seeing the transitory nature of feelings an arahant will no longer get attached to them at all or be rather detached and so whether an arahant is experiencing a pleasant feeling or an unpleasant feeling or a neutral feeling it doesn't matter the arahant will be quite balanced quite equanimous quite detached about the whole thing but let's well contrast this with an ordinary human being so a non-arahant and so, so for an ordinary human being 
comes some you know, wonderful experience like uh, you know, maybe um, uh, getting to eat an ice cream and then there's some pleasant feeling attached to it and then we can't get enough of it and so we want the ice cream to last forever naturally it's not going to do us this favor and so then when it comes to an unpleasant certain feeling or unpleasant experience that comes in association with an unpleasant feeling then usually we want to get rid of it and then with regard to neutral feelings oftentimes ignorance arises now with regard to pleasant feelings, there's still one more aspect. So, when there's some positive experience, either we want more and more and more of the same, because it is accompanied by a pleasant feeling, or if after a while we get tired of it, bored with it, then we crave for something else. So that's a rather human um, or rather common human pattern and it's worth seeing it and letting go of it. Now, when talking about the contemplation of feelings in general, then we find that feelings are not just impermanent by nature, but they also share other common characteristics, such as Yes, indeed, they are unsatisfactory. And what else? They don't belong to a self. Ah, there you go. They lack a self. And so there's no self there, which means that a feeling, Vedana, just like all of the other conditioned formations, is subject to the three universal characteristics of Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. And this one has to see in one's own <coughs> in one's own meditation practice, not just to hear it uh, and know it uh, theoretically. Now, when we carry out our meditation practice over a longer period of time, <coughs> we may find that we may make you know, the following uh, rather interesting you know, discovery. At the very outset of you know, the retreat, there is a chronic pain, and let's say in the knee, and this chronic pain under normal circumstances uh, is accompanied uh, you know, with an unpleasant feeling or it has an unpleasant uh, feeling tone you know, to it. 
Now, as we keep uh, you know, being mindful of it and also of other objects, you know, the situation may you know, change. And, so, and then, as our practice deepens, we may find that that same chronic knee pain now is associated with a neutral feeling. So, upeka uh, vedana. And then, uh, again, you know, sometime later, we may find in the absence of uh, other you know, predominant you know, pain snakes in the body, that that same chronic you know, pain in you know, the knee is now accompanied by a pleasant feeling. And the reason for this is, you know, in the absence of uh, you know, predominant uh, you know, pains and aches, the mind has nothing you know, really, you know, no, no distinct object to you know, focus on and to you know, get concentrated with, and uh, you know, thus uh, a pain you know, when it's there is uh, you know, then welcomed by the meditator and happily does a meditator observe it. So at that point, you know, the uh, chronic sensation that previously was seen as a pain now is certainly related to or seen as a pleasant pain. So it's more or less the same object uh, the knee pain. However, over time, at first it's being, uh, or it comes along with an unpleasant feeling, then a neutral feeling, and later on even a pleasant feeling. What this shows is the rel- relativity of certain uh, feelings with regard to, to one and certain uh, the same object. So this too is certainly uh, something that uh, we need to explore in our. Uh, own meditation practice. And now, it is said correctly that it is relatively easy to you know, see or to experience or to know the pleasant feelings as well as unpleasant feelings, but it is rather difficult to know the neutral feelings. So feelings that are neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So feelings that are in between. And the commentary you know, recommends uh, that uh, a meditator you know, will you know, pay attention you know, to you know, a state you know, that certainly uh, lies in between. So, you know, when one experiences you know, first maybe a pleasant feeling, then the pleasant feeling disappears. And uh, then after a while, uh, one uh, discovers an unpleasant feeling. And in between, uh, there is a period where the feeling is not that clear. And uh, where the feeling is neither unpleasant nor unpleasant, and this then would qualify as a neutral feeling. So it is in this way that one at first can approach the neutral feelings and get an idea of what a neutral feeling is and then later on one becomes more confident in spotting those neutral feelings.
Now, what do you think? The contemplation of certain feelings uh, will uh, lead us uh, to uh, the gaining of insight or not? Yes, no? Yes, it will indeed. And will it lead us to realization or not? Like the attainment of the first path, second path, third path, fourth path. Well, the texts say, yes, indeed, the contemplation of feelings may, just like the contemplation of the body and like the contemplation of the mind and dhammas, lead to realization. Now, there is a particular reason why, among all mental factors, the Buddha has chosen Vedana or feeling as a separate uh, establishment of mindfulness. And the reason for this lies in the fact and that there is a causal link or causal connection between feeling and craving. So, a pleasant certain feeling will uh, surely you know, give, and if one is not mindful, will lead to you know, the arising of craving tanha. So, wanting more and more of uh, the same experience. And when there is an experience that is accompanied by an unpleasant feeling, then this too may lead or will lead to craving, the arising of craving, in the case of an absent minded meditator. And do you know why? An unpleasant experience. Does one crave for the unpleasant experience? I would think that one craves for it to go away. Ah, that's the correct answer, indeed. So, it's not craving for more of the unpleasant experience, but just like Stephen points out uh, correctly, it's craving for the unpleasant experience to go away and to be replaced by some pleasant uh, experience. And then, the, if I'm not mistaken, the, when a neutral feeling arises, there's a certain amount of well, peacefulness there, and one might crave for more of this. So in all three cases, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling, in the case of an absent-minded person, it will lead to craving. Now, there's another connection here. Namely, that um, 
the feelings, the three feelings, when they when one of them, each one of them arises, may um, trigger in an absent-minded person the activation of you know, a root, one of the you know, roots of unwholesomeness. There are altogether three roots of unwholesomeness, namely greed, hatred, and delusion. So, the way this works is, when some pleasant experience is there, which goes along with a pleasant you know, feeling, then this will you know, trigger and activate uh, you know, the you know, mental defilement of greed. So it leads to the arising um, of uh, greed. And in the case of some unpleasant, undesirable experience which is associated with an unpleasant feeling, this for an absent-minded person may trigger and activate the arising of hatred or ill will, dosa. And in the case of a um, somewhat uh, neutral experience that is associated with a neutral feeling, uh, this uh, will uh, trigger and activate ignorance to arise in uh, the stream of consciousness. And since there is this strong link between a pleasant feeling and greed and unpleasant feeling and hatred and a neutral feeling and ignorance, the Buddha very much wanted his disciples to see this causal link and how it may lead to the arising of unwholesome mental states in order to cut all of this. And therefore he's made um, uh, the feeding into a separate establishment of uh, mindfulness, a separate uh, contemplation. Now, to substantiate these points somewhat further, in the Diga Nikaya, you know, section 250A, or sorry, no, volume 2, you know, section 58, we find you know, the following statement Feeling conditions craving. If there were absolutely no feeling, feeling born of eye contact. So by eye contact is meant the, you know, the physical, with the physical eye seeing you know, some object in certain, the mental state of contact arises. So feeling born of eye contact, feeling born of ear contact, nose contact, tongue contact, body contact, mind contact, in the absence of all feeling, with the cessation of feeling, could craving appear? And the answer to this is uh, no, venerable sir. Therefore, Ananda, the Buddha is speaking to his attendant, just this is the root, the cause, the origin, the condition for craving, namely feeling. So, feeling leads uh, under normal circumstances to uh, craving. And as we've also seen, it may activate the other two roots. Now, 
as we've seen the feeling is of three kinds pleasant unpleasant and neutral and uh, furthermore we can distinguish between bodily feeling and mental feeling and so when it comes to the bodily feeling then the term sukha vedna is used and when it comes to mental feeling so a feeling in connection with a mental you know, mental event or mental state and then you know, this is known in Pali as somanasa so the definition for Nisukha Vedana, namely the bodily pleasant feeling, is as follows. Namely, it has the characteristic of experiencing a desirable, tangible or bodily datum. And its certain function is to intensify you know, the associated states and uh, it is manifested as bodily enjoyment and certain of the proximate cause for it you know, lies in the body faculty itself which means you know, this refers to the body you know, sensitivity or just to the body itself you know, in which uh, an experience uh, occurs now, in the case of Somanasa Vedana, namely the feeling of gladness, it's characterized as uh, um, experiencing a desirable object. And here, please notice, there's no more mention of tangible. So it covers both you know, tangible as well as uh, mental objects. Um, or a tangible object that then, then later gets processed as a mental object. Its function is to relish that desirable object in one way or another and it is manifested as mental enjoyment. Now, sometimes meditators or non-meditators, when they hear you know, the Buddha's teachings and uh, you know, there's so much uh, you know, talk on dukkha, 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 everything is dukkha. And in, Bur in the Burmese language, for instance, you know, you know, the term dukkha has been you know, made part of the language. So if something is, uh, uh, you know, you know, well, an unpleasant experience or an unwanted experience, then people will just say, oh, dukkha. dukkha <laughs> It's really you know, something unpleasant. And so, this then you know, might certainly create a wrong impression. And so to rectify this, let me state that the Buddha has mentioned a number of occasions under which pleasant or happy states of mind, joyous states of mind arise. Now, one 
form of happiness that is available to human beings and in particular to meditators is what is known in the Pali language as Anawaja Sukham. Sukha is happiness and Anawaja is um, purity. And this happiness arises in which connection? And suddenly you are all practicing it. Meditation, more precise than this. Ah, the ethical conduct, yes, indeed. In certain so observing you know, the, an ethical code of conduct leads to a pure you know, bodily and verbal conduct, and this in itself you know, then you know, becomes uh, a source for uh, or source of happiness. So happiness of purity, the purity that comes uh, from observing the precepts. Then, to meditators is available yet another form of uh, happiness, which in the Pali scriptural language is known as Abhyaseka Sukha. And so, this happiness uh, is based on what? And again, you're practicing it. Uh, concentration? Concentration, that comes later, yes? Any, any other? Equanimity? Mm, oh, you're shooting very high. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, very simple, restraint of the senses. So, when we practice, and all of you are doing this, when we practice the restraint of the senses, so intentionally we don't look around, um, and even though we may be hearing some interesting sound or so, we don't listen to it, um, then after a while we realize, oh, it's not that bad. And so, the mind not being bombarded by the senses, this in itself then leads to the arising of some happiness. And so, then, when a meditator at the samatha, a meditator does or practices the jhanas, and then again, different forms of joy and happiness are available. Namely, the joy and happiness of the first jhana, and then there is the joy and happiness of the second jhana, using the four folds system of reckoning. And then later on, in the third jhana, the joy falls away. So piti falls away, the happiness, however, remains. And then when we meditate, we 
uh, when we undertake a Vipassana meditation practice and uh, our practice then develops into the tender face of the fourth insight knowledge again a different kind of uh, happiness tends to uh, arise namely happiness as an imperfection of uh, insight and so this happiness is certainly so, you know, frequently accompanied by you know, joy and certainly so, you know, also accompanied by tranquility of uh, mind and these three you know, together are you know, known in you know, the Pali you know, language as Dhamma Rati Ne Rati means the light and Dhamma is simply the Dhamma so uh, Dhamma the light and these are three mental states of joy, tranquility and happiness by far excel you know, the happiness of ordinary uh, worldling, uh, word, uh, ordinary uh, worldlings or ordinary worldly you know, pleasures now, as human beings, we, uh, especially as non-meditators, we think that all that is available to us are you know, the pleasures that come from indulging in the sense pleasures. So, uh, you know, enjoying an ice cream or some delicious food or you know, listening to some good music, watching movie, this or that. And then, when one meditates, one realizes you know, there is a different kind of uh, um, delight available that is not dependent on you know, going to the movies, that is not dependent on some delicious food, nor on some uh, listening to some you know, wonderful music, and so on. And this certain Dhamma delight then is said to be free from dangers whereas ordinary worldly delight oftentimes is said to be accompanied by certain dangers so drinking a glass of wine is great but uh, drinking 10 glasses of wine, one after the other, may not be that great anymore. And so, so it leads to a change of uh, experience. The only disadvantage of, uh, the, uh, of Dhamma delight is uh, that if one gets uh, attached to it, if one craves for it, uh, then uh, one's practice might uh, stagnate. When the Dhammapada verse with regard to this Dhamma delight is as follows, namely verse 373, and there it says, the bhikkhu or bhikkhuni, male or female meditator who goes into seclusion to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives the Dhamma, experiences a joy which transcends that of ordinary men and women. Now, 
the greatest you know, form of, uh, uh, hap- of joy and happiness is certainly uh, that uh, which arises in connection uh, with uh, you know, the realization of uh, the Dhamma namely you know, which entails certainly uh, the experience of uh, Nibbana and Nibbana itself is certainly referred to as certainly Shanti Sukha, you know, the happiness of uh, peace. And this is a type of happiness that is fundamentally different from you know, the other forms of happiness that we have discussed so far. The ordinary types of happiness are all sensate types of happiness. They are based on the senses, some experience that involves uh, our six senses. The peace of, uh, or the happiness of peace that comes with the experience of Nibbana is a non-sensate happiness. It does not uh, rely on uh, the six uh, senses. Now, the Buddha has certainly clearly stated in a few past, and this is being recorded in a few places, that the realization of the Dhamma itself brings about joy and happiness. And the reason for this lies in what? What leads to happiness? Permanence? Impermanence. Or the permanence? I didn't quite understand. Permanence. Permanence of what? Spirit? Of the spirit? No, 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 not really. Any other suggestion? Ah, very good. Indeed, the end. The, the uprooting, the total uprooting of greed, hatred, delusion, and all other unwholesome uh, mental states or mental defilements. And you see, um, as long as um, unwholesome mental states are present in the stream of consciousness, we are bound to suffer in one way or another. And there's a multiplicity of uh, um, combinations certainly possible. However, once the mental defilements have been partly or ideally even all been uprooted from the mind, then purity is there and this purity itself is then a foundation for or leads to the arising of happiness. So please keep in mind that the Buddha's path of purification is a path that leads, that clearly leads to joy and happiness. And it is not a path that leads to dukkha. Um, there may be occasions, spells of dukkha along the way, and actually quite a number, but the end result is, is definitely sukha and not dukkha.
And in connection, just to you know, maybe as a last point here, in in, in the connection with you know, joint happiness. Um, in connection with the fourth insight knowledge and seeing formations as arising and passing away, which is which marks one particular point in the meditation practice, the Buddha has said, every time one clearly comprehends the arising and perishing or the you know, disappearing of the formations of the five aggregates, one finds joy and gladness. That to the wise is the way to Nibbana. It's not Nibbana itself, but it's the way you know, towards uh, that. Now, maybe this much regarding uh, aspects uh, connected with pleasant uh, feeling Sukha Vedana. Now, let's briefly explore Dukkha Vedana and uh, you know, the you know, respective mental aspect, namely, or mental feeling, Domina Satna Vedana. So, the you know, painful feeling that so, um, is associated with uh, bodily deformations is known as Dukkha Vedana, and its characteristic is that of experiencing an undesirable, tangible object. Its function is that of withering the associated mental states. So it's uh, weakening those, and you know, the manifestation is as bodily affliction and not as bodily enjoyment, as in the case of Sukha Vedana. And uh, the proximate cause here is certainly given as certainly the body uh, sensitivity. So basically just the body as a whole. Uh, the body which uh, um, experiences an object. And uh, then as for Dominasa Vedana, uh, namely displeasure or literally it's translated as uh, sadness of uh, the mind. So the characteristic of uh, this Dominasa is uh, experiencing an undesirable object. The function is uh, of partaking of uh, the undesirable object or aspects of the object, and the manifestation is as mental affliction, and certain uh, the proximate cause is uh, the heart base. And as pointed out at the outset of our talk, when unpleasant feelings arise, then we should not run away from them, but rather we should observe them or accept them and then patiently observe them with a detached attitude of mind. And when we do so, then this will make a big difference. And when a person who is not mindful and who experiences some bodily pain which is associated with 
an unpleasant feeling, then in most cases this person will also experience some unpleasant mental state or some difficult mental state which will be accompanied by some you know, um, unpleasant uh, feeling, mental feeling. So displeasure you know, will be there. However, in the case of a, you know, a skillful meditator, you know, the you know, case will be different. And a meditator will be experiencing the same pain, and uh, there will you know, be the same unpleasant uh, feeling connected, you know, bodily feeling connected with it. However, there won't be, uh, a ment- there won't be the mental displeasure. The Buddha has certainly said, as is recorded in Samyutta Nikaya Sutta or or, the 22nd collection in the first Sutta you should train yourself thus even though I am afflicted in body my mind will be unafflicted and so, so as we become more and more experienced in the meditation practice and more and more equanimity arises in the stream of consciousness and then indeed we manage to keep the mind rather balanced and then a neutral feeling will be there towards the bodily experiences or towards the things happening in the body. So, when it comes to, especially to the contemplation of um, painful or or unpleasant feelings and displeasure, we should need to learn to disidentify from the feeling and to just 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 observe it as calmly and as with as much equanimity as possible. Now. The last feeling is certainly the neutral feeling, and certainly this in the Pali scriptural language is known as uh, Adokamasuka Vedana, and uh, its characteristic is uh, that of uh, being felt as neutral, and its function is of neither intensifying nor withering uh, the associated states, and its manifestation is as peace. Peacefulness. And there may be a neutral feeling regarding, well, a bodily sensation, but also regarding some mental event. Now, the amazing thing regarding neutral neutral feelings is that two different conditions uh, arise. A neutral feeling may arise in connection with ignorance. So, 
there is no you know, wisdom present and certainly so one observes an object and so, um, uh, one just uh, recognizes or registers that it is accompanied by a neutral feeling and that one doesn't fully know the arising and the dissolution of that neutral feeling nor does one know the advantage, the disadvantage and the escape from the neutral feeling however, if we continue with our meditation practice and then wisdom arises in the form of insight and knowledge and in particular equanimity is present then objects or formations that we've been observing all along many times start um, appearing in connection with a neutral feeling and this happens in particular you know, during the you know, fourth insight knowledge as well as uh, during the eleventh insight knowledge and so at this point a meditator you know, usually is certainly fully aware of that uh, neutral uh, feeling and so furthermore when a meditator realizes the aspect of anatta with regard to the rise and fall or some other object, it doesn't matter now then you know, oftentimes you know, a meditator will say it's accompanied by a neutral uh, feeling so these are two cases you know, for you know, the arising of a neutral feeling in our meditation practice and uh, for you, you know, to keep an eye on and certainly uh, to be uh, aware of now this certainly then uh, brings us you know, to the end of our Dhamma talk on Vedana Nupasana Satipatthana let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by wishing may you um, or based on what has been said may you uh, apply this knowledge to your meditation practice and may you become more and more skilled at working with or contemplating feelings, pleasant, unpleasant and neutral, neutral feelings may it help you to see the causal connection between feelings and craving and may it also help you to see that feelings are impermanent satisfactory and lacking itself and uh, uh, may it also help you to assume a rather detached uh, attitude and uh, ultimately may it lead you to the realization of uh, the Dhamma and this is it for tonight
Are there any any questions or comments? Yes, please. Um, when you were giving um, meditation instruction, you were talking about noticing the beginning, the middle, and nothing. Um, are you talking about... Wait, wait, wait. You said nothing. No. Um, knowing the beginning, eh? middle, and end of objects. Oh, me. Um, are, you, are you saying to use that as a mental note? Or just to sort of know this is the beginning, middle, and end? Right, it's the second. So just to know this is into no no um, when when giving the instruction like this uh, when talking about the beginning middle and end this should be understood at only on a conceptual level it's just for ease of communication there's no deeper meaning to this division into beginning middle and end and there will definitely let's say when you observe the, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen there will be no signposts saying there oh here comes uh, you know, the end of the beginning and there comes the beginning of the end uh, no. so that's just uh, for, you know, for the sake of uh, communication no 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 yeah there's no need to, to note that oh yeah 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 no, that makes it unnecessarily complicated no no <laughs> well, indeed. No, all you need to do is now just now just uh, at the beginning of uh, now the now rising movement or some other predominant object, you label uh, accordingly as rising, as pain, and whatnot, and uh, then now take your time to observe the whole object without uh, labeling any further. But do you know, do observe and know, you know the different uh, you know, sensations or features that are coming up. Okay, then, Mac. Sir, um, I don't understand the word contemplation. You've, you've spoken many times about the contemplation of this. Does that mean I sit down and think about it? Oh. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound like but I don't know what to do with it. So, it's good that you're asking this question. I'm glad. Mm. The term contemplation, the English term contemplation has in Pali, uh, the, uh, or the equivalent in Pali is anupasana. And contemplation is a repeated observation of uh, objects under uh, a particular aspect. So, you know, we could, for instance, uh, you know, undertake the contemplation of impermanence, anicca nupasana. And uh, you know, then you, know, you see, and this happens quite naturally in the you know, course of the meditation practice, and then a meditator will see formations mostly uh, under, you know, the aspect of, uh, or under the aspect of impermanence. And no, as uh, continuously you know, changing and so you know, maybe arising, lasting, passing, coming and going, dissolving. And um, as you're uh, supposing already, um, 
when we say contemplation, this definitely does not mean to think about about impermanence, but uh, to just observe, to actually see impermanence as impermanence. Mac, there's a huge difference between thinking and gaining intuitive knowledge. Now, thinking comes out or has to do with the intellect, and whereas intuitive understanding or wisdom arises out of mindful uh, observation or contemplation of what is and this does not imply thinking so when observing a pain uh, then uh, we're not uh, when uh, then we're not thinking about this pain. Is this pain now permanent or is it impermanent or uh, what? Uh, what is it doing? Uh, or uh, you uh, you know you start uh, uh, putting up all sorts or uh, uh, putting together all sorts of theories about uh, this pain. Contemplation is simply observing what is. And the Buddha distinguishes between three kinds of uh, um, gaining or acquiring knowledge. The first one is known as uh, Sutta Meya Banya. Banya means wisdom, and uh, Meya is means based, and Sutta is um, hearing or you know, learning. And so, so it's knowledge gained or based on hearing, literally hearing, hearing, uh, hearing you know, a lecture, hearing a discourse, or you know, uh, hearing you know, the other people you know, you know, disseminate some knowledge. And this includes even reading books. Then the next form of uh, knowledge is known as Chintamaya Mpanya, wisdom based or arising out of uh, thinking or analyzing. Now, much of our modern knowledge, especially scientific knowledge, comes under this Chintamaya Mpanya. Now, this has its place, and it's sort of for, you know, for comfort in understanding nature and so on, uh, it's extremely valuable. However, both of, the, both of them, you know, the first one, namely you know, knowledge based on hearing and knowledge based on, um, on you know, thinking or analyzing, with these two, you will not be able to you know, gain a clear understanding and direct understanding of, uh, you know, for instance, anatta, you know, the aspect of non-self, and uh, nor of nibbana. You can read a thousand books on Nibbana and you know theses and whatnot, and still you won't understand what is meant by it. And you can um, think for a hundred years about Nibbana, and you will still not be able to access it. 
a true understanding of uh, both aspects, namely anatta as well as nibbana, uh, comes, and many uh, many other aspects uh, of uh, you know, the Buddha's teachings comes from what is known as bhavana maya panya. So wisdom or knowledge based on mental development. Bhavana means mental development. And what we're doing here, namely practicing satipatthana or vipassana, is a form of developing the mind. So please throw the thinking overboard and uh, indulge in uh, or engage in a direct observation of what is happening. The thinking has its place in uh, ordinary life, uh, so we need to think in in the field of education and uh, uh, at the workplace, at home and so on and so forth, but uh, in the context of uh, the past meditation, thinking is more uh, of a hindrance than uh, uh, of an advantage. Does uh, this help? Yes? And when you, know, when you find yourself thinking, let's say, you know, maybe you know, looking around and then um, you know, thinking about you know, some aspect of nature or this or that, you know, then you know, simply just to, to recognize this or be mindful of this and right away label this as thinking, thinking or you know, speculating or um, you know, uh, having philosophy philosophical thoughts, and so on. And let go of those and go back to a direct certain observation of what is happening. Okay. Anything else? If not, maybe this much for tonight. And then tomorrow, tomorrow is Friday, so uh, there won't be any interviews. Uh, Marcia will, you're not giving interviews, I'm not going to give interviews either. But there will be a Dhamma talk uh, tomorrow night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.